Today's episode is brought to you by No Boring Design. Wow, what a name. No, we know this team well. We've brought them in to help with a number of engagements when design becomes a bottleneck for shipping campaigns quickly. Uh, also when design is boring, right? A lot of B2B status quo becomes boring and it doesn't have to be. So we bring this team in, they level up the quality design and they remove design as a bottleneck to ship campaigns, content, product marketing assets, you name it. If it needs a design and you're hung up on it, this team can help. Um, somehow they managed to do this. I think their price point starting out is 2,500 a month. Uh, obviously goes up from there, but what a great resource. We've seen them firsthand do great work with Dropbox, Yelp, a number of our big clients they've been a part of. So check them out, noboringdesign.com, noboringdesign.com. Welcome to season three of Best in SaaS, where we talk through patterns and playbooks in the revenue sprint to 100 million in ARR and beyond with the industry's most accomplished executives, entrepreneurs, and investors. Season three is brought to you by Chargebee. Chargebee helps SaaS businesses of all sizes maximize the growth potential and revenue with a leading global subscription management platform that delivers fast time to value plus exceptional service and support. Learn more at chargebee.com. All right. Today's episode is going to be really fun. We have someone that I've had the pleasure of working alongside recently quite a bit. Sam, you were the VP of product strategy, product marketing at Zendesk for a really long run. You're the VP of products and marketing at Good Data. You're an advisor to a bunch of companies like Product Board, where we work together and front. Um, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. So I'm excited to chat today because I think once once you've had enough conversations with someone and worked together a bit that you end up understanding at least on some level, like what people like to rant isn't the right word, but like, you know, you're, you're the things that you like to get up on a soapbox and talk about. And so I feel like for you, product marketing is like, this is a perfect conversation for us to dive into some of the things that you see companies doing really well. Uh, and then some of the things you like, think are laughable and that companies could do a lot better at. So maybe we could start by unpacking just like the relationship between product and marketing and what product marketing even means these days. Let's start there. Yeah, it's it's complicated. So I'm um I've been around for a while. Um and uh been sort of halfway between uh product management and product marketing uh in my career, uh, all for B2B software companies, well software and tech companies. Um and you know, back in the day, uh, under sort of waterfall product development, and you know, before the rise of you know uh, SaaS and you know the internet, believe it or not, um, <laughs> it was you know it was very like different sets of roles than there are today. Um, now things with startups growing as quickly as they are, the roles of you know product management, product marketing are are very fluid, and companies are growing and changing so much that they change very often. So it just seems like it was a lot clearer, you know, in the olden days, if you know, when things were a lot slower and more deliberate and more sort of linear to figure out like who did what, right? And um, you know, product management, where I've spent 
most of the last, I'd say, decade has gotten has gone through like tremendous change, almost all for the better, right? Starting with agile software development and then into um, all of the various and sundry lean startup principles, et cetera, et cetera. And then uh, the ability for B2B software, especially companies to get customer feedback almost instantly on products that they're building. And it's just, um, and then it's just, and then there's an explosion of, of data and everything for product managers to do. Product marketing has not had a similar, I would argue, had, hasn't had a similar sort of transformation. So what I see is like in a lot of companies, um, and product marketing is so important and it's so different at different stages of a company's life cycle. So I feel for, you know, sort of the practice of product marketing as you were. But what I often see more than anything else is like product marketing is, and this is more in young companies than older companies, but like they're playing catch up to the rest of the business. Um, if you look at startups, the first product marketer is off, often hired after you have like four or five PMs. Uh, and then companies are, you know, searching for product market fit. But if you try two or three different things until you find product market fit, like that's, you know, that's a legacy that product marketing has to deal with, right? How do I communicate to this audience on the website? How do I communicate, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I feel, you know, I, I, I empathize deeply with product marketing people who are, you know, um, struggling, you know, in some senses, right? Is there, so that's interesting, is that, do you think that there's something that these companies could do proactively or preventatively to avoid this, you know, almost inevitable pitfall? Yeah, like, you know, there's this great expression I'm sure you've heard, which is don't leave marketing to the marketing department, which is kind <laughs> of a, you know, a funny yep. thing. I think it might have been Gary Byercheck or somebody like back 10 years ago said that. It was a real sort of pithy statement that was actually pretty true. I think to a certain extent, um, you know, one thing I've done is, uh, and this gets to the, uh, another thing I, uh, I, is that like, P, you know, and I'm a product manager, like PMs treat product marketers like the help, right? It's like, oh, product marketers here. You can write my release notes. You can communicate with customers. You can train sales. You can update the website. You can do all that other shit that like, you know, I don't want to do because those are administrative tasks, right? Right. And that's a surprisingly common perception in product. So I think one thing that can happen is that, you know, product managers, there's typically more of them. They need to be responsible for the entire life cycle of their product, right? Including, you know, not just shipping it and launching it, but making sure that it's communicated and adopted and, you know, values communicated, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that having PMs, product managers, do more product marketing um, is one thing I would, I would recommend, right? And product managers are often really good at that. They may be intimidated by product marketing because they're not, you know, liberal. I was a liberal arts major, so I can like turn a phrase. You know, they're like, oh, I'm an engineer or I'm a business person. I can't like do marketing. But I think there's a tremendous, you know, work that product PMs can do, right? Um, there's other things organizationally that can happen, you know, where PM reports into, et cetera, et cetera. But I think the biggest recommendation is like, you know, don't leave product marketing to the product marketers only. And, you know, take responsibility as product people to do that too. It's almost like anything else in, in marketing now where, you know, back in the day, air quotes, uh, so many of these classic marketing buckets were siloed, right? It's like, oh, we have paid media and then we have our SEO effort and we've got some content effort and like these buckets and product marketing. And now we're realizing for any of these to be really truly effective, effective, they're all interrelated, right? They all need to be talking to one another and, and collaborating. 
And so it makes sense that product marketing and product <laughs> should also be the same way. Um, yeah, I think so. I think so. And it's just, it's tough because marketing is, I mean, you know this because of your career, but marketing has gone into this, you know, huge uh, sort of most of marketing today seems to be focused around growth and performance marketing. Yeah. Not most, but like certainly in young software companies, sure. um, very metrics driven, very iter- iterative, um, you know, test and measure, et cetera, et cetera, uh, experiment driven. And like, uh, you know, if you look at what product marketing is, it's kind of hard to, I mean, like product marketing supports a lot of that experimentation, but the strategic aspect of it is like what customers, what segments, what problems are we solving? That's what the company is testing, not what like a, an ad word is testing, right? So it's hard for exactly for like the strategic areas of marketing to fit into this performance-based approach, right? Um, and they turn into like copywriters, right? Um, One so thereby how do I say becomes... like how do I you know how do I like turn three phrases on a website that or a page that will convert, right? Yep. Um, so it's been turned into a commodity in a sense. And even largely marketing, I think that's an interesting challenge for marketers, regardless of discipline is, is finding a way to communicate with the product side, like product minded people see marketing as this commodity. It's like, Oh yeah, turn on marketing. Now that like people will start using our brilliant product and then, you know, IPO. (laughs) Like it's got, so trying to manage and uh, navigate that perception and that dynamic is an interesting challenge. Yeah, it is. It is. And I mean, I always, I mean, um, my bias, I, if you have product in your job title, I, I hold you to a higher standard. Um, um, like I said, I'm a product manager and product managers are pretty <laughs> egotistical. Um, I don't think I'm egotistical, but I, I have high standards for product people. Um, and yeah, I think to a certain extent, like I think of marketing, which is wrong because I've worked at companies that marketing is the reason they succeeded. Right. Um, and um, whether that's strategically understanding what channels to acquire customers, understanding how to um, do that, or if it's even like tactically with messaging or something like that. But like I view, I have the view that you talked about, which is that like not necessarily the best mousetrap will win, not the best product will win, but like better products delivered correctly will win. Right. Um so, uh, yeah, so I sometimes don't have the highest regard for like the tactics of marketing, right? Um, even though they basically like are, you know, incredibly important in driving growth for any company. Sure. Yeah. Do so you mean to insult you there? <laughs> no, 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 no insult taken. I, I get it. It's, um, it's a chat. Yeah. It's a, it's a slog no matter what side you're coming from. But I think that's an interesting transition into kind of the space that you and I know each other through and working with some of these you know, trial led in, in this case, so product led sales assist motions and what hand product marketing and, and marketing plays in that. Do you think that these, and, and we have plenty of examples of very successful companies growing very quickly because of this, but on the whole, how do you feel about the quality of product marketing for companies that are trial led sales assist? Like, do you think they're getting it right? I guess, um, <laughs> To sound to keep up the theme of sounding like an old guy, things are moving so fast these days. Um, back back in the day, so um, uh, uh, in the earlier days of Zendesk, I joined Zendesk uh, about a hundred people. We were about 15, 15 million in revenue, so we had already found product market fit. But sort of the there was a set of our sort of SaaS startup cousins. 
that were Box and Dropbox and New Relic and HubSpot and uh, these types of companies, uh, even like companies like Hootsuite, uh, there's a million of them. Uh, and it, it, it seemed like all of these companies, and then we also talked a lot to and talked a lot about MailChimp and SurveyMonkey, companies that were much more on the, what we now call product-led growth. And it seemed like you settled into where you were on the spectrum of product-led versus sales growth. <clears throat> and uh, you, you let it play out for a while, right? I mean, at Zendesk, we went through a transition. Everybody sort of, most people are familiar with Zendesk. We went through a really long transition of 100% product-led growth, what, what's now called product-led growth. There were like, when I joined, there were three or four salespeople, almost all, they were 15 million revenue, three or four salespeople. Most of the salespeople were working on existing business, mm-hmm. uh, not on new customers. Uh, we had our advocates, our support people would call trialers as an experiment, not to sell them, but to say, hey, can I help you out? And mo- I was running... Um, product and we focused a lot of effort on, you know, a conversion on like, you know, web try buy, trial to pay conversion, et cetera, et cetera. But it took a really long time for us to, and we were successful, but it took a long time for, if you look at where Zandesk is now, they're over a billion dollars in revenue. And I, I've been there for a couple of years, but most of the revenue is being driven from sales motions. Uh, there's still a healthy self-service business, but that transition happened over a really long period of time. And then, you know, we looked at like companies like Marketo, which was sales driven from the beginning and companies like uh, SurveyMonkey, which was at least at the time was almost completely product like growth. Right. And we're like, where do we want to be on that spectrum? And now it seems like companies are, you know, a B round venture funded companies are going through these iterations so quickly and they're picking up multiple motions. So it's not, are you product like growth or are you sales driven? It's are you doing both and how are you balancing those two? And when you're in a young company and you're just getting going, that's a really hard thing to pull off, right? It's hard enough to, to, you know, it's like the joke about it's hard to walk and chew gum. If you're a, you know, if you're a $5 million company or a $3 million company in revenue, it's hard to walk, right? Let alone chew gum, right? So the idea of getting everybody aligned on one thing is really important. So it's super interesting to see these companies um, doing sort of both simultaneously. All right, so before we get on to the second half of this episode, I'd like to give a quick shout out to our close friends over at Mattermade. For those of you who don't know them, Mattermade helps some of the fastest growing B2B SaaS companies drive revenue as an extension of their marketing teams. We're talking companies like Dropbox, Calm, Loom, Product Board, and many others who trust Mattermade to help them drive their marketing and demand gen initiatives. You can check out their seemingly endless supply of case studies over at mattermade.co. Now let's get back to the episode. And do you, I mean, is your advice for these companies then to do a better job of focusing and, and win with one first? Or do you think in, in kind of the way that the landscape has evolved, it's necessary to walk and chew gum? I don't think it's necessary. It's so like, you know, I'm a product manager, so I'm really good at problem diagnosis and I'm really bad at solutioning. Um, uh, that, that's a thing. Um, um, I don't think it's, I don't think it's, I don't have a remedy like do this or do that. I think that number one, recognize that, uh, that a um, very few companies have scaled out both motions simultaneously at this young of an age, right? Uh, so just recognize that. I think, I think it's, um, I mean, there's a lot of, 
companies that can do either, right? So it's a viable choice, but I don't I, like I don't I don't have great advice for it other than to realize that um, I guess what I would say is that I've been ta- I've talked to a number of friends that I've worked with in the past who are now at different companies, and their perspective is is the, like what is the DNA of the company, right? And that, and that, that as much as you can make an argument to, you know, your CFO can put, you know, or BizOps team can build the models and you can sort of do the experiments. Like what's the DNA of the company, right? What's the, how is the, how is the product originally created? Cause these are product typically product founded companies. And like, is it a, you know, this was designed for, you know, uh, you know, real broad applicability, really easy discovery, really easy configuration, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, you know, like typically what happens is, you know, in successful companies, culture gets established really, really quickly and scales out very quickly. So, you know, what's the DNA? Do you have the DNA to kind of, you know, that leans one way or the other, right? Are you a very metrics driven, you know, I think of companies like, um, uh, like Airtable or Notion, right? Which are pro- today's example of product-led companies. And, you know, they're very metrics driven. They're very, you know, funnel oriented. Um, uh, there is sales touch, but like, it's typically like the, you know, the, um, you know, the old Atlassian model or something like that. Whereas like after customers have gotten to a level of success, then we'll jump in and help them. Those are just DNA of those companies is just markedly different than like, snowflake computing or something like that which is like yeah they've got a a lot of people can pick up their software but like they are or service now they are like sales driven companies right pretty clearly Um, totally but it's hard i don't like i said i don't have a an answer and i think a lot of a lot of companies are facing this because number one they have lots of money because because there's a lot of there's a lot of venture money going into companies And number two, you know, we're in a boom economy for, especially in the world that I live in, which is B2B software. There's just like, it's been, we're in like year 12 of boom times where people are just buying stuff. Right. So it's kind of hard to, it's kind of hard to, to say what's the right thing to do. So, uh, you've, you've obviously had an amazing career thus far, and I'm sure you, you continue to have big aspirations. Like what, how do you maintain balance in your life? Um, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, so I, uh, I left Zendesk, uh, two years ago, a little less than two years ago. And it was the, you know, as a friend of mine said, I don't know if it was a peak, but it, I don't know if it was a pinnacle, but it was certainly a peak of my career. Um, sure. it was an amazing experience, um, to be a part of that, uh, uh, that kind of thing, but it, it left a mark, uh, it left a mark uh, on my, on my sort of the rest of my life that isn't my career. So what originally turned into a sabbatical where I was going to take a year off, uh, turned into, I don't know what the nine month (laughs) version or six month version sabbatical, the pandemic hit and like my sabbatical ended. So now I'm giving a go at, at being a consultant and an advisor as opposed to joining a company and seeing if that will, uh, help bring some more balance to my life. But I'm not sure. I mean, like I'm, you know, I'm not, I mean, I, there are aspects of being a part of, you know, being in the game fully and fully committed that I miss. So the interesting thing is that from advising a number of companies through the pandemic and talking with professional contacts is I, I, there's a bit of a reckoning happening in general in tech about, you know, work-life balance, whether that's a thing or about how do people, uh, you know, uh, like, I, I think the new generation of people are, are, are much more, are much less willing to 
work their asses off for some future gain. Right. right. So I think that's a really good trend. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to see how a group of very type A work people navigate this topic. Right. It's like the valley is such this boiling place of people who, you know, maybe they're not type, type A people in like in their normal personal lives, but in their aspirations and, and how they view themselves in a work environment, it's very much like, let's go. Uh, it's funny to see, not funny, but it, it's, I'm glad to see the topic coming up more and being more considered. Yeah, I agree. And I think that like, I mean, the pandemic has been a horrible thing, you know, uh, for so many reasons, but it's actually been a really good thing in our industry in a lot of ways, which makes, you know, we all carry this guilt um, right. about some of that. But at the same time is like, I mean, the number of people who are, you know, moving to Boulder or moving to uh, Missoula or whatever. Everybody talks about Austin and Miami. Everybody, everybody in my life seems to be moving to Montana. Um, and um, Guilty as charged. Right? And, um, uh, you know, like companies that are, you know, how do we scale out our company? I was like, well, our third location or our second location is going to be remote, right? So it's not like we're going to close our office and be a virtual company. That's not happening, but like, you know, like maybe we need to give this remote thing that we've been kind of talking about, but not really doing a real run. And just that, I mean, you know, I've been stuck in this room for a year, but like not having to commute, you know, not having to do all of that has its, has its, you know, it's easier to have work-life balance, right? Uh, Sam, I prefer when you take your meetings from the kitchen, because I get to look at the beautiful wood uh, <laughs> kitchen that you have. It's yes, <laughs> every I time have, like yeah. <laughs> kitchen goals. <laughs> my, my family, my family does let me out of this room every, you know, for an hour. It's like a, for an hour, I get to walk around the house an hour a day, just, you know, <laughs> back to your room. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So as we wind it down, um, you know, everybody has different folks in their lives and throughout their careers who have been influential and I'm curious who some of those people to you have been along your path. Professionally, I don't know if I have individual people that I would name. I mean, it's just uh, I uh, I went through this uh, as part of my sabbatical. I, I sort of read a couple like, what do you want to do with your life books? Um, there was one that I read, um, which was a, they took a design thinking approach to all of this called uh, What Do You Want to Do With Your Life? I think is the name of it. And uh, one of the exercises you do, it's sort of like, you know, you can sticky note your way to figure out what you want to do with your life, which is kind of fun, you know, draw pictures, <laughs> yeah. which I think is really good. But one thing that they, one of the exercise, the exercises that the, the woman who wrote the book said was like, you know, come up with who your heroes are and then describe why you're there, they're your heroes. And, you know, I came up with like a couple famous people in history, but I also came up with an old friend of mine who I worked with 20 years ago. His name is Britton. And he, he, I didn't even realize he was a hero, but the way that the life choices that he's made and the, the way that he does his version of work-life balance and what he's built a career on and stuff like that was was super interesting. So it's kind of a shitty answer to your question, but like, but <laughs> that's uh, interesting. You know, uh, it is. Um, you know, it is. But I guess the people that are, you know, I'm at the stage I'm in my life right now. I'm more interested in people who are, you know, designing. It was called designing life you live. That's the name of the book. Designing the life you love. I'm sure you'll edit that out the whole yeah. part, but like that's the name of the book. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I'd imagine. I'll send you the Amazon link so I can get a, an, an affiliate fee for it. There we go. Now we're talking. <laughs> uh, well, Sam, this was fun. Thanks for, thanks for taking the time to chat. Yeah. Likewise. It's a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs>